0: Hey, uh, it's great to see you guys here tonight. If you guys don't know me, if I don't know you, uh, my name is Alex Gray. I help lead Veritas here at The Crossing, uh, and we're glad you're here because we are back tonight in our mental health series. So we're kind of wrapping up the year uh, with some conversations about how, if we're being really honest, things, everything is not fine. Everything's not fine. I mean, on the surface, we're really good at Making it look like everything in our life is going great, everything's fine. So when people ask how we're doing, awesome, great, thanks for asking, how about you, you know? In public, we make it look like we have everything together, we post pictures that make it look like we're loving life, but maybe in our head or underneath, in our our own personal lives when we're on our own, maybe things aren't so great. Maybe if we could just admit it to somebody, anybody, we'd tell them that everything's not fine. And so last week, Kyle talked a little bit about anxiety, and and this week, we're going to look at loneliness. Loneliness, that feeling that we are on our own, that we're disconnected, isolated from other people. So in the last couple of weeks, as I was thinking about this topic, I-, I wanted to know if there was any research, anything that was out there on this topic. And so I started poking around the internet, and one of the first articles that I came across was titled, Loneliness Can Kill You. A little dramatic, I thought, but it intrigued me. And so I clicked on it, and it made the case that we survive, we thrive only if and when we're connected to other people. And when we're disconnected from people, our health, it starts to tank. Studies have been done to track what loneliness does to our body, and get this, they show that loneliness might be a more significant health factor, so it has a bigger impact on our health than obesity, smoking, exercise, or nutrition kind of crazy, right? After more than 10 years of research, physicians, they've discovered that a lonely person is significantly more likely to suffer an early death than a non-lonely one. So that's kind of wild. And crazier than that even is that those who are socially isolated, they're actually cut off from people. They suffer from higher rates of cancer, infection, and heart disease. That's insane, right? That apparently is what loneliness is doing to us. And here's the kicker. As of January 2020, so before COVID, three in five Americans reported feeling loneliness each and every day. That's more than half of us in this room. We're lonely. And more than we know, whether we know it or not, it's taking a toll on us. So I don't I don't say all this to freak you out, like death is not just around the corner because you felt some FOMO last night, I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is that I think loneliness is a, a bigger issue than we often realize, than we make it. So I want to take time, we want to take time tonight to talk through loneliness, to figure out really where it come from, comes from and, and then where to take it. First though, we got to diagnose the problem. Like, where does loneliness come from, right? What makes us lonely? I I was talking to a junior a couple weeks ago recently who said that COVID, it was the first time that she had ever felt like intensely lonely. She hadn't felt that before, but now words like social distancing, quarantine, stay-at-home order, Those words, just those words, bring up memories of dark, sad days on her own. Uh, Another guy I was in Jamaica with a few weeks ago, he pointed to technology as one of the main issues. In Jamaica, what we do is we turn off our phones and we throw it in a bin for the whole week. We don't have it. And he said that without it, he was actually able to get to know people. Like, technology, it should be the thing that makes us more connected than ever before, but he noticed that it it was doing the opposite for him. A sophomore I was with, she said that even college itself is just sort of isolating. Like, think about high school and how it was meant to put people together every single day. So you did classes together, you ate lunch together, you played sports and instruments all together, but then you get to college and your schedule is independent from everybody else's. You have to kind of go out of your way to see anybody who's, who's not your roommate. So COVID, technology, college itself, these are some of the external factors, the outside factors that make us lonely. But then there's this whole different set. There's this deeper set of reasons that we're lonely. There's things that we think about, but maybe we don't talk about. With other people. Like, have you ever had the thought that maybe just maybe people don't really like you? Maybe they don't want to be around you. I have. I have had that thought. Or maybe, maybe you fear the rejection or the, the idea that someone will just drop you, abandon you if they know the whole you, the real you. Sometimes I feel lonely. But then I want to reach out to someone, but I don't want to seem needy, right? I don't want to seem like a burden, and so I don't. Maybe you're lonely because you feel like you've been betrayed by a friend before, and and you just don't want to get hurt again. Or maybe all of your friends are dating, and you're single, and you're thinking, what is wrong with me? Maybe you're secretly buried in, in past shame of sin that you just don't know how to share with other people. Whatever it is, whatever thoughts creep into our mind, they make it too risky, too scary to actually go and connect with other people. They isolate us. Brene Brown, she's a research professor on human connection. Uh, And in a 2010 TED Talk, she said, connection is why we're here. It's what gives purpose and meaning to our lives. This is what it's all about, connection. In the Bible, the Bible actually backs that claim up in Genesis 2. We see that when God created Adam, the first human, he he looks at him and he says outright, it's not good for the man to be alone. And so he creates Eve. He creates someone that he can share his life with. It's not good for us to be alone. We are inherently created, wired to do life with other people. So we are created for connection. We are created with, for connection with God, with others, but in Genesis 3, that connection, it was broken. It was broken. Look at Genesis 3, 8 to 10 with me. This is immediately after Adam and Eve disobey God's command not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I hid. See, what we see is that Adam and Eve, they had a perfect, deep connection with God and with each other. But when they disobey God, when they choose their own path, that connection, it gets marred, it breaks. And in response, they hide. They pull away in their shame. And that real connection that they had, it's replaced by isolation, disconnection, loneliness. One of the hardest seasons of my life was the first semester of college. And I'm sure that a lot of you in this room can relate because the more I do college ministry, the more I learn that this is an intensely difficult time in your life. Freshman year is so hard for so many of this, for for so many of us. But when I was there, I had no idea what was going on. I I was confused because in high school, I was pretty outgoing. I had made friends easily. But now that I was here at Mizzou, I, I could not connect with people. Girls that I thought were my friends, they would just ditch me at parties. I would be alone all of a sudden. I would have no idea where anyone was that I knew. I would text people, and I would ask to hang out, and they would say, sorry, no, busy, maybe next time. I desperately wanted a boyfriend, and that definitely was not happening. And so I just felt really, I felt unwanted. I felt embarrassed. And so I just started to hide I hid by going home every weekend. I, I hid in my bad decisions and my shame. But then Jesus, he, he called me out of hiding. He sought me out. He gave me some good Christian friends. He brought me to Veritas and into a small group. And slowly, he started showing me what a relationship with him looked like. And I found that I, I didn't have to hide any of the messy or unattractive parts of myself because he already knew them and he didn't care. He loved me anyway. And so that changed my life. It really did right there, that semester. And that's what Jesus does, right? That's what he has done for each and every one of us in this room who follows him. Because of what he did on the cross, we are seen and known and loved. In the Gospel of John in chapter 15, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus doesn't hide anything from us, and we have nothing to hide from him. So if you're here tonight and, and you don't really know what you think about Jesus, let that verse sink in. Let it sink in. Jesus is God himself. He is the king and the creator over the entire universe. And yet, he has invited you into a personal relationship, a personal friendship with him. And it has no limitations, no hesitations, You don't have to hide anything from Jesus. First of all, because he knows it. And second, because it doesn't matter to him. He loves you. He sees you. He knows you. So you can come out of hiding. You really can. You can get to know Jesus. You can see who he is. And I think if you see who he is, I think you'll start to see that he is a faithful friend who promises again and again and again to never leave us. Isaiah 41.10, it says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Psalm 23, 4 even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And Matthew 28, 20, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. For Christians, for those of us who are Christians, in a very real sense, we are never alone. We're never alone. Because God is always with us. Ephesians 3:17, 16, and 17, it, it reminds us that Christ himself dwells within us. He is in our inner being through the Spirit. And so God is with us because he resides in you and me. We should take comfort in that. We, sh- we should find comfort in the fact that Jesus is a real and present friend. But even if we do, even if we believe that, we're still gonna sometimes feel lonely. I don't think that'll completely go away. And that's okay, that's not a sin. Like it says in Genesis two, we're hardwired for connection with other people. And so if you're lonely because you want but don't have good close friends, hear me say that's a really good desire. That's not you being needy or, or weak, That's God's own character shining through you. But how do we get that, right? How does that happen? Well, for the next few minutes, I want to give you some practical ideas on how to combat loneliness, how to really deeply come out of hiding and deeply connect with the people around us. But before I do, a couple caveats. One, I am not going to be able to say everything. And the things that I do say, they're not going to be like bulletproof solutions. I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to fix our loneliness completely. I hope that these are helpful tools to you that you can use, but they shouldn't be the fix all solutions that we're looking for. And second, Even if you're somebody tonight who doesn't really feel like you're particularly lonely. Maybe you feel like you actually have really good people, a lot of people in your life. That's great. I I think that is awesome. But I think that these are going to be helpful, practical tools for you still to, to go deep with friendships rather than just wide with a lot of people. So here we go. I have seven. Number one, spend time with God. That might sound a little bit counterintuitive that I'm starting there. But the reason I am is that because being alone, like being solitary is not a bad thing, right? It's something we actually should do regularly because it gives us time to do things like read our Bible and pray with God. So this is first on our list because our relationship with God, it's going to lay the foundation for all the other relationships that we have. Look at how Jesus answers a man who asks what the greatest commandment is in in Matthew 22, starting in verse 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God first, Jesus says. Love him first because that love, that is going to satisfy our soul and our mind and and our heart. And when we have deep connection with God, then it's actually going to set us up for better relationships with the people around us. So what I'm not saying right now is that non-Christians can't have deep and meaningful friendships because I know that's not true. I have seen those in the friendships that I have with non-Christians. But what I am saying is that when we are known and loved by the creator of the entire world, then that's going to fill us and motivate us and empower us to go know and love other people in the same way. So that's number one. Number two is invest in a church. Invest in a church because from the very beginning, From the very beginning of of how the church is talked about in the New Testament, it has always been the best place to combat loneliness because it's meant to function like a family. So Ephesians 2, 19 and 20, it says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself, as the chief cornerstone. So we're members of God's household. We're brothers and sisters in Jesus's family. In a family, it's meant to do life together. Like it's meant to worship together and serve together, have fun together, learn together, grow together, all those things. And so with your time in Colombia, however long it is, I don't know how long you're here, but with the time that you have, Invest in a church family here. Invest in a family. Ideally, I would, I would love if you guys were all uber connected here at the crossing, like you're, you're attending on Sundays and you're serving with other people and you're bringing people in. That would all be great. But if you're, if you're really lonely and you don't really know where to start, then I think right here tonight is a great place. Commit to being here every Tuesday. Come to Veritas. Maybe it's time to join a small group. Whatever it is, take the time, take the energy to actually invest where you are. Build a church family here. Seniors, I want to talk to you for a second because I know that in just a few weeks, we are so sad about this, but in a few weeks, you are graduating, and a lot of you are going to move away. You're going to move to a new city. So if you take away one thing from this message tonight, one thing, Hear that the best thing that you can do for yourself after college in this next phase of life is to get invested in a local church. Don't wait until you get settled. Don't put it off until you find your perfect church. Find a church that is teaching the Bible, that's gospel-centered, that has some things that you like about it, and and dive in. And it might be kind of weird at first, right? Right? Like, it might be hard, you might be the new loner for a while, but it is going to make a difference. If you want to be following Jesus after life in college, it's going to make a difference to invest in a church. So speaking of taking steps, making effort, number three, initiate. If you are an underclassman who knows me, you have probably heard me say that I think that one of the biggest reasons that we're lonely is that everyone is waiting for someone else to reach out to them we would all love for someone to ask us to hang out we would love that that would be so great and so we wait and we wait and if that person if they never reach out to us we assume that they don't want to get to know us they don't actually really like us and we get sad but guys what if that person is waiting for you What if that person is waiting for you to reach out to them? What if they would love if you extended an invitation to go do something with them? But neither of you ever really know because neither of you reach out. Now, I'm not trying to be trite. I know this is kind of scary. I know that it is weird and awkward. But honestly, it's probably going to be that way, right, regardless. Because a lot of friendships just start that way. They take time. Research Research says that it probably takes about 200-ish hours for people to go from acquaintance to good friend. And so start logging the hours, people. Like, just text someone this week. There, there are ways to start small with this. Text someone this week to grab dinner. Or decide to study with someone rather than alone. Go run errands with somebody. I don't know, ask how their day is going. Really simple, simple stuff, but just reach out, put yourself out there, and, and initiate. If you guys need a push to do this, go find someone on our connections team. Because these are people, these are leaders serving in our ministry who their part of their role is to talk to new people on Tuesday nights. And I, I think they would tell you that some of the conversations are kind of awkward. They are. That's normal. But they, I know that they would also tell you that they have examples of times where this has been so good, that God has used it to bring new people in, to get people connected, and to build a family and a community here. So go ahead, initiating, it pays off. Go ahead and push past the fear and the awkwardness and just reach out. Number four, put down your phone. Put your phone down because of all of our coping mechanisms, our phone is the sneakiest when it comes to loneliness. Phones, they market themselves as like the solution to to loneliness. If you're feeling awkward in public, just go ahead and Snapchat a silly photo to a friend. You have friends, see? If you're feeling embarrassed about the fact that you don't have plans, well, just go ahead and scroll On TikTok for an hour and just squash that feeling down. If you're insecure about whether people really want to hang out with you, just post pictures on Instagram about all the cool things you did last weekend. That'll take care of it. Phones, they are masters at soothing those feelings of loneliness, but it's always, always a temporary fix. And more than that, they distract us from the people who are sitting right around us. They, they distract us from interacting with the people that we're face-to-face with. So when you're with people, resist the temptation to lock your eyes on that screen. Get it off the table. Put it in a different room. I don't know. Whatever it takes so that you can have real conversations, face-to-face conversations with the people that God has just put into your life. Five, take control of your thoughts. This one I think is important because more than we realize, our thoughts control us. We, we just kind of let a thought pop into our brain and then we let it take us wherever it's headed. That's, that's dangerous though because our thoughts, they're not always trustworthy. We have an enemy who wants to feed us lies. John eight forty four says that he, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan loves to get us alone because that's where he can manipulate and distort and mar our thoughts into believing his lies. C.S. Lewis, he was an author who wrote a lot of books, but one of his books was called The Screwtape Letters, and it was like an imaginary correspondence between a demon and his apprentice. So bizarre premise for a book, but it's fantastic because it's insight into the way that the devil works. And one short but powerful line is suspicion often creates what it suspects. Suspicion often creates what it suspects. So all the devil has to do is put doubt in our mind about a friendship. And then we go and create the assumption that that friend doesn't want to be around us, that they're upset with us, that they have hurt us. And and then we pull away. See, the devil, he is so good at making us, convincing us to isolate ourselves. And so we have to fight back. Ask yourself if the thought that comes into your mind is a fact or if it's just an assumption. And if you don't know, then just go talk to someone about it. Pray through it. We have to communicate in order to control our thoughts rather than let them control us. We have to believe truth. So while we're on the topic of communication, number six, work through conflict. In my experience with college students, this is one of the biggest contributors to our loneliness. Because when we feel tension with a friendship, our natural response is going to be to retreat. It's going to be to hide. It's going to be to kind of shut them off, decide that it is better off without that friendship. We feel like it's safer to decide that we don't need them in our life. I think that's a mistake, though. I think it's a huge mistake. In her book, Find Your People, Jenny Allen, she says, Conflict isn't the enemy of our friendships. Conflict is the fodder to make them grow. Conflict is inevitable but handled biblically, it can strengthen and deepen our relationships. That is a really bold claim. But in my life, in my own experience, that is absolutely true. One of the best examples I have of this is of a friend who coincidentally is also named Alex. And from the beginning of our friendship, she has always made a point to work through our disagreements. And at first, I hated this. She'd call me up and be like, hey, why are you being weird? And I'm, so anxiety provoking. I would be like, "Huh?" Ah. But honestly, the more conflict we had, the more disagreements we walked through, the more I was convinced that our our disagreements, our conflict didn't hurt our friendship. It actually grew it. It strengthened it. There was one time we were in Japan together for a summer, and I honestly, I don't remember what the fight was about, but I what I do remember is that we walked laps around a little lake to figure it out to talk it out and this fight was decidedly not fun like it was a really tough one and there were points in it where we we probably both thought I don't know if this is going to resolve I don't know how we're going to get there we would end a lap still frustrated still hurt and we would go okay another round let's go here we go it took us two and a half hours Two and a half hours to finally get on the same page. Something clicked and and we could finally see each other's perspective. In the end, I was really thankful, really thankful that we worked it out. But I was even more thankful that she was a friend who was willing to do another lap with me. She wasn't going to quit on the friendship. So don't, don't quit when conflict comes up. Don't quit. Don't pull away. Don't retreat. Lean in. Don't ghost them. Be honest. Be kind, right? Ask for forgiveness. But stay committed to this friendship. Stay committed. It's really important that we do this because the the more we do this, the stronger our friendships will become. And the better friend that we're going to become. Which brings us to number seven. Be a good friend. And I'm sure that that sounds overly simplistic, but what I mean is that if you're lonely, then initiate, take energy to to seek people out, but then learn to be the friend that you want to have. The Bible, it's full of wisdom on how to be a good friend. So it tells us to do things like who knows? Ah, ask good questions, right? We gotta ask people good questions about their life. We have to listen well to what they share with us. We should encourage them in their faith. We should encourage them in the ways that we see them growing. We should speak hard truth when it's necessary, but then we should also be willing to hear hard truth humbly. We should push them to grow in their faith. We should push them to see what a relationship really looks like with Jesus. When we do these things, plus the other things that we've been talking about tonight, I think what we'll see is that some, not all, but some of the feelings of loneliness that we feel are are going to be replaced by deep and lasting friendships. Music team, you can come on back up. But what I want to say to end here is is that I know that we are lonely. I'm not trying to brush past that. I know that there are feelings of just pain and grief, uh, of not really knowing who is beside us, uh, of not knowing if we have a place to belong, if we have people to lean on and turn to. And I know those things because I've been there. I've had these feelings. I've I've known the the sadness and the grief that comes with loneliness. And so maybe you came tonight looking for answers, and the things that I have said, they just don't cut it, right? They don't give answers to to the loneliness that you feel. And if that's the case, I, I hope that they end up being useful to you. I hope that they are tools that you can use, but I know that they're not the ultimate solution because only Jesus is. Only Jesus is going to be able to carry the weight of that sadness, that loneliness, that disconnection that we feel, and only He is going to be able to satisfy our deepest longings for being known and loved. And so, I'm just gonna—I'm going to end with prayer. I'm going to pray that for us. I'm going to pray that God, that Jesus, would be with us and for us in that. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the fact that you have experienced this kind of loneliness, this pain. You've been betrayed by your friends. You have been given over to death. You've been abandoned by friends and enemies alike. And it's also that we could have life in you. It's all that, also that we could know you, know your love, be in relationship with you, reconciled to you, and we thank you for that. Jesus, we pray that we would lean on you, that we would know that you are a real and present friend. And I pray that you would give us good people in our life, that we would seek out, the intentional, initiate with the people around us, that we would combat loneliness with good lasting relationships, that we would move through conflict, that we would put technology away so that we could actually engage with people. Help us do all these things. Help us stick it out in friendships. Help us build and and carry out your family, your kingdom. We ask that you would do that with us and through us. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.